Let's be honest. We live expecting to be happier and more fulfilled when we have money. Money buys us stuff, which gives us a thrill, and it pays for things like insurance and savings that make us feel more secure. But do money and stuff really make us happier? Even with the abundance of material goods we enjoy in our country, it's telling that one of the biggest American pastimes is shopping. We aren't satisfied because like an addiction, we'll always crave something new or different. And what about security? Does money really make us more secure? You don't have to look very far to see once powerful and oh so secure fortunes crumbled by economic or natural disasters. What truly fulfills us as human beings is to grow in knowledge and love of God and to be doers of his work in this world, to be adventurers, imaginers, builders, healers, bringers of justice. But if we want to be free and flourishing as God created us to be, we have to deal first with our dependence on money. If we don't learn to depend on God and to be generous to his work, we'll never move from bondage to freedom. We'll always be stuck living in tension, anxiety, and mediocrity because we do not fully trust God to provide for us if we were to step out. So ask yourself, are you willing to step out? Do you really believe that God will provide for you? Remember this. Jesus said, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. Do you think Jesus was right? Do you? Well, the question is, do we do more than just believe it up here? Do we trust him with it in here enough to act on it? This month, we've been looking at what the Bible teaches about money, and I invite you to open your Bible to the book of Proverbs chapter 29 as we wrap up this series. And you see the photograph on the screen. Those are sisters in their 80s, Rose 87 and Theresa 84. And they were always close, came from a large family. They were close throughout their uh, their adulthood as well. And uh, after their husbands died, they became really close and started doing a lot of things together. In fact, one thing they started doing together that's interesting, uh, not sure it's wise, but it was interesting, they started gambling together going to casinos together, buying lottery tickets together, and they had this agreement that whatever one won, they would split evenly with the other, okay? And, uh, but then they had a falling out, over 250 bucks. And a year passed, and they were mad at each other and shouting at each other over the telephone. And, and so Rose decided, rather than buying lottery tickets with her sister, Theresa, she started buying a lottery ticket from time to time with her brother. And they hit the jackpot. They won $500,000. And so she and her brother split it right down the middle, $500,000. And the other sister, Teresa, didn't get anything. You know what, you know what, uh, the, what Teresa did? She sued her. She took her sister to court. And the court case lasted five years, and she eventually lost, didn't get any of the money, but listen to this. It's, it's for, for a decade, they haven't spoken. These sisters who were so close for so long, 
because of this disagreement, because of their attitudes, you know, about life and about money, they don't even talk to each other anymore. See, we have this, we have this thought process that says money will make things better. And money can help us do some things, right? There are times, however, when money actually makes things worse, not better. And usually that happens when we don't have the right attitude, the right way of thinking, the right understanding, and the right practices with regard to money. It's important as followers of Jesus Christ that you, you and I think about everything that's a part of our life the way he thinks about it, the, that, that, that we view all of this life and money and our resources the way he tells us to view them and we live that out. And so we want to honor him. We want to obey him. So this month we've been looking in the book of Proverbs at what God tells us there about money so we can obey him and bring honor to Jesus Christ and how we live and what we do with our resources, including our money. We, we've already looked at some things that God tells us are more important or better than money. We've looked at what he tells us in the book of Proverbs are money thieves, things, things that rob us of money and make life more difficult. Last Sunday we looked at what he says about getting ahead, doing it God's way. And today as we wrap this up, I want to talk about mastering money. Because it is true that in your life, either you are the master of the money or the money is your master. And you may lie to yourself about which one is really master. But there are some practical things that point to the truth. And so we're going to talk about mastering money as God sees it. So three or four things I want you to look at real quickly. We'll start in Proverbs 29. And here's the first one. If you want to be the master of your money rather than your money mastering you, you have to be compassionate. And that has to show itself in how you think about people and what you do with your resources, with your money. Proverbs chapter 29, do you have your Bible? If you don't have a written copy, open up your electronic copy. Let's look at the Word of God. Proverbs chapter 29, look with me please at verse 7. The Bible says, The righteous is concerned, sympathetic, is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked does not understand such concerns. It just doesn't make sense to them. In other words, the righteous person, the one who's honoring God, the one who's following Jesus Christ appropriately, has this sympathetic outlook when it comes to people who are struggling, people who are less fortunate, a sympathetic understanding. But the wicked person, he says, doesn't have any interest in learning, doesn't have any desire to better understand someone's circumstances and how they got in the shape they're in or what are the dynamics that are at play. They just ignore that, go through life not thinking about it, not wanting to learn because learning can change how you think and how you feel and what you do. So it's better just to go through life ignorant sometimes and selfish if we're not careful. And so he says the righteous person is compassionate. But the wicked person doesn't want to understand. It's the idea, have you walked in someone else's shoes? Do you put forth the effort to understand what it's like to be someone who's different than you? Someone of a different race or a different background than you? Someone from a different different economic situation than, than you've ever been used to, to, to try to understand so that your heart, your heart can stay tender and not become hard. Another passage, Proverbs chapter 17. Look with me at verse 5. Proverbs 17, verse 5. He says, 
he or the one who mocks the poor. And notice this. I have to be honest. I've read Proverbs many times. I had never noticed part of this verse until recently. He who mocks the poor taunts his maker, his creator, God. And he who rejoices at calamity will not go unpunished. Now, the Hebrew word translated poor here is a word that means one who is low, whether it's being low in money or low in status, low in influence, low in in power. We, We can be low. We can have little of a lot of different things. See, I had no control over the family into which I was born. I had no control over the geography of where I was born and grew up. I had no control over what schools were available to me at that moment in time in that place. I had no control over any of those things. I had control over some things, but I had no control over those. And neither did you. And neither do other people. And so some people start out low. Some start out with advantages. We don't all begin in the same place. Is that not true? And that's what he's talking about here in chapter 17, verse 5. And he says, when you mock someone, it's interesting. It's a strong word. It means to criticize them, make fun of them, to ridicule them, their appearance, their circumstances, their situation. And can I be honest? I've done that at times in my life. And I would say if we're honest, every person in here has done that a time or two in our lives with someone, haven't we? And yet he says when we do that, we need to think because when we do that, the one we're mocking, the one we're taunting, the one we're criticizing is God, their creator, their maker. And I had never really zeroed in on that phrase before, but isn't that what God says here? So see, words matter. You remember Jesus said that every idle word man speaks, he'll give an account of it on the day of judgment? And you and I need to be so careful that we don't get caught up in everything going on in our culture and the political world and government and all that, that we lose sight that first and foremost, our identity is in Jesus Christ, not in being Americans or not being part of this group or that group. It is in Jesus Christ above everything, always. And rejoicing at calamity, at disasters, things that are beyond someone's control, someone's, you know, let's, let's be honest. Guys, listen, some people have more health problems than others, and, and, and it's not any fault of their own. Is that not true? Huh? And I know a lot of us create problems for ourselves. We dig a big old hole deep and we get down in it. But, but that's not always the case. There are things that happen to people, and it's not their fault. It's not, they're not to, to blame for it. And so just just be careful. I I guess what I'm saying, the Scripture's telling us here that if we're going to be the master of our money so that money doesn't master us because we want to hold on to it, we want to cling to it, we want to be stingy, make certain that your heart does not get to the place that you lose a sense of compassion for people who are struggling. Because if you ever get to that place, then it may be an indicator that money is too powerful in your life. And and you think, well, I'm not rich. You don't have to be for money to be your master. I know people who are dead broke and money's their master, their attitude. It's all about attitude and what you do with what you have, little or a lot. 
So keep a compassionate heart. One last verse on this, chapter 14 of Proverbs. Look with me at verse 31. Chapter 14, verse 31. The Bible says, He who oppresses the poor taunts his, his, his maker. Now, a moment ago, it was, it, was, it was, you know, the one who has no compassion, who, who's mocking, making fun of. Here's the one who oppresses, who abuses, who takes advantage of. But the one who is gracious to the needy honors him, honors our maker, honors God. So show compassion. That's the first thing, okay? Show compassion. Here's number two. You want to be the master of your money rather than your money be, being your master? Not only be compassionate, but be, be uh, generous. Be generous. Let me show you a passage in Proverbs 11 first that speaks to those of us who are in leadership and who have you know, businesses that we operate or influence over things that happen in the economic world. Proverbs chapter 11, look at verses 24 and following. Okay, Verse 24, he says, There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds, who withholds what is justly due and yet it results only in want or in need. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. He who withholds, this is verse 26, he who withholds grain, the people will curse him, but blessing will be on the head of him who sells it. So what's he talking about? He's contrasting two ways of living, two ways of, 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 of thinking, generosity versus greed or stinginess. Okay? And in, in verse 24 at the end of verse 24, when he says there is one who withholds what is justly due, yet it results in won't. He, he's saying there's a basic level of morality. There's a basic level of decency. There's a basic level of kindness. There's a, a, a basic level of benevolence that is just and is right. And, and, and people who won't even do that, I mean, it, it's, it, that's not what we do as followers of Christ. That's just basic to, the, to being a human being, to being part of God's created order. And the one who can't even do that, he says there, there, there are issues. And then verse 26 is the business part, withholding grain, the people will curse him, and blessing on the heads of the ones who sell it. It's, it's the person who manipulates things. You, you have the ability to manipulate things to drive prices up at the expense of others. Now, wasn't that a big part of what created the crash of 08 and 09? Greed? How can, how, how can we in industry and business and whatever make more, make more at the cost of others? God cares about that. Per, on a personal level, look at chapter 22. Chapter 22, verse 9. The Bible says, he who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Generosity. It's interesting. The uh, English Bibles tend to translate it there in verse 9, he who is generous. I think, I think as the old King James translates, it has a, uh, an, a, 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 bound, a bountiful eye because it's a Hebrew idiom for a, a good eye a generous eye versus a bad eye, an evil eye. In other words, in, 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 the, in the Hebrew, just everyday language, if you were stingy, if you looked at stuff and said, that's mine, I'm going to cling to it, and there's no generosity and there's no compassion, 
you were considered to be somebody who looked at everything through bad eyes, through evil eyes, through wicked eyes, because you weren't looking at it through kindness and goodness and generosity in the eyes of God. But when you had had compassion and generosity, you had good eyes. You had righteous eyes. You had God's eyes because you saw things more like he does. Now remember, I'm a sinner. So are you. In and of myself, I'm not righteous. Neither are you. And how did God look at you? How does God look at me? With an evil eye or a good eye? With grace and kindness and generosity? And so what God says is, you look out here at my created order, created in my image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Is that not true? And so he says, as you look at my created order, look at it through my eyes, good eyes, righteous eyes, kind eyes, generous eyes, compassionate eyes. Be generous. I'm going to ask Brother Ken Wilkins to come on up here. Brother Ken, if you come and bring that microphone right now. I'm gonna, we're going to talk for a moment. And uh, by the way, um, I guess it was not this past week, but the week before, he made two trips up to the church office, and uh, his car, come on uh, come on over here, brother, I'll hold this for you, come around over here with me, he, he, two trips up here and brought a bunch of food for our food closet, and uh, that's not everything he brought, look at all that, look at all that, now let, show them the next picture too, he brought all that, would you say thank you for this guy's generosity? Don't. Isn't that what, what, what God was just saying here in Scripture? A good eye, a generous eye, a kind eye, a compassionate eye that all of us need to have. But there's more to this. Uh, and by the way, Ken, how old are you? 91. Be, he's proud of it, brother. Yeah. And by the way, he's, he's one of the best shots in this room with a, with a gun, too. He's really good. That's a lie. No. <laughs> But uh, Ken and I had, uh, I don't a lunch or something several lunch. months ago and got to talking. He was telling me about some experiences he had in his background, and, but one of them kind of stood out to me. And guys, show that next slide. Uh, he, when he was a kid, I had never heard of Cloverine Sad. How many of you have heard of that? All right. Everybody over 70. Okay. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> nah. But won't you tell the story of how you got started in that and some of the things you learned? Well, first of all, I'd like to say this leads into it. When I was nine years old, which is in 1936, I cut a few lawns. And mm-hmm. I got paid 10 cents to do it. And and by the way, can't you imagine how the young folk in the next service are going to react to that? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, my mother never said I had to give a certain amount to the church. She allowed me to, to mm-hmm. go to the cowboy movie on Saturday morning and get a box of popcorn, but she never had to pay for it. She said, if you're going to go, you're going to earn the money. Yeah. Uh, of course, we were in the heat of the Depression at that time. But uh, I was looking through a comic book, and with three of us boys on the street that I lived on, we kept passing the comic books around because when everybody couldn't afford to buy them. And I noticed a little coupon in this comic book and it said, send this, paste this to the penny postcard. And most of you never heard of a penny postcard. <laughs> it said, paste this to the penny postcard. 
and mail it in, and we'll send you 24 cans of chlorine salve. Okay, so you got 24 cans. Yeah, 24 cans. I forgot all about it. Forgot about, you forgot about sending it in yeah. and ordering it, yeah. I got home from school one day, and my mother said, we have 24 cans of chlorine salve here, and it was addressed to you. <laughs> and I said, oh, Mama, I forgot to tell you that. <laughs> I, I ordered that. Well, why would you do that? Mm-hmm. And I said, because I'm going to sell it. I said, I get 13 cents, and I have to send them 12 cents. So you got to keep a penny? No, I got to keep 13 cents. 13 cents. It was sold for 25 cents. Okay. See, if I knew math, I'd, I'd get that. <laughs> but anyhow, I, I, she said, well, who are you going to sell it to? We, you know, everybody's we're in a deep depression here, and I didn't know what a depression meant, because I had great parents, and they never really allowed us to know that we were in a depression. And my father never made big money. But we went on to, I went on to, to sell this stuff, and my mother come to me. I, I had made about $1.80. And she came to me, and she said, okay, now that you're an entrepreneur, <laughs> it's time for you to understand that you have to give money to the church. And I looked at her, and I said, you mean i got to pay to go to church? <laughs> She said, yes, you do, but it's it's like this. I'm going to sit down and tell you, you're old enough to know. She said, who do you think pays the pastor? Who do you think pays the light bill? Who do you think pays the taxes on the building? And I said, God. (laughs) She said, well, where does God get get his money? And I said, I don't know. And she said, well, you're... It's time for you to learn. She said, uh, we give every Sunday, your father and I give every Sunday, and your brothers and sisters, to whatever, 10% of whatever they make. And it's time for you to start. So that's when I started tithing. And uh, I make 30 or 40 cents in my uh, Sunday school envelope, and I just got in a habit, and I tithe. In my entire life, except for the two years I was in Germany during World War II, but I was not in the World War. I want you to understand that. I was in the service during the war, but Truman dropped the atomic bomb, and that ended when I was in basic training. I was supposed to go to gunnery school, and they said, you're not going to gunnery school. You're going to go with the first occupation troop in Germany, which I did, and, and I enjoyed it very much. But I have been a tither now for 80 years. And you've always found God to be faithful to you. And never had to want for anything. And I can tell you right now, if you haven't tithed, give it 90 days. Try it for 90 days. You'll find out. You say, I can't afford to do it. You're going to find out that your budget, even if you don't budget, you're going to find out your money will go just as far as it went before. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. We we. Appreciate that very much. God bless you, my brother. <laughs> Dean, could you come and hit him down? And by the way, parents, grandparents, that also points to the value of teaching your kids generosity while they're young. Let them learn those lessons. It's easier to learn important lessons when someone is young than it is when we're older. We get set in our ways and, you know, the flesh takes over and stubbornness and habits and all of that. So... Um, just a word to the wise there. So 
Let, let's kind of move toward the end, wrap this up, because we're going to have our chest of Joash offering in, in a few moments. So how do we master money? We have, to, we have to keep a compassionate heart. We have to be generous. And generosity is not just in words, it's in deeds, it's in giving. And then here's a third way. If you're going to master your money, you have to learn to really honor God with your whole life. And that does include your job and your money. Proverbs chapter 3. Let's look at this passage real quickly. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Okay? Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. He says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine, which is what Kim was just talking about. In verse 9 when he says, Honor the Lord from your wealth, some Bibles will translate wealth, your substance. Now, a lot of people think when, when it comes to giving, especially tithing and all of that, it's just what you give to the church. What God is saying here is we are to honor him with all of our substance, all of our wealth, all the stuff we already have. It's not just what we give, but it's, it's what we don't give, that we are to honor God with everything. It's not a legalistic thing where you say, well, I give this so I can do whatever I want over here. No, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I'm to do with whatever I have in keeping with the principles of Christ, the principles of Scripture, to, to use my substance, my wealth. And, and that's not just my financial resources. That's, that's my house and my automobiles, my estate planning, my time, my experiences and learnings and skills, that, that I am to honor God with everything that is a part of who I am. And so I ask, how are you honoring God with your substance, with all your stuff, with all that you are? How are you honoring God with that? And then at the, at the second part of verse 9, and from the first of all your produce, or some will say first fruits of your increase. So I have this, but as time passes, I have new stuff. I have more stuff. And the Scripture teaches the first of that, the first fruit, that's what tithing is. Tithing's not the leftover. It's off the top. It's the first. That belongs to God. The Scripture says it's holy to God, and whenever I touch that for my own purposes, I am robbing God because the first fruits are His. And then I honor Him not only with the first fruits through the time that Kim was talking about, I honor Him with the rest of my stuff, the rest of my life. So honor God. And, and guys, listen. What we do with money either honors God or it doesn't. And there's really no in-between. Here's the last thing I want to say. If we're going to master our money, we, we, we must grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ to the, to the point that we, we genuinely trust him to take care of us. And that's what Ken's life, and if he had more time, he could tell you beautiful stories about how God did that over the years. Trusting God to take care of, of his righteous ones. Two, two last passages real quickly. Proverbs chapter 10. Look with me at verse 3. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but will reject the craving of the wicked. Will not allow the righteous to go to, to, to hunger. It's interesting. In the Hebrew, it's a, the literal translation is, is that, that, God will, that the Lord will not allow to hunger the souls of his righteous ones. That it's not just your stomach, it's your souls. That God, the, 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 inner, the inner sense of, of, of life and happiness and purpose as well as the financial stuff, that, that the soul, the real us, all that is a part of us, that if we honor him, 
honor Him. There, there are satisfactions that come in so many ways in life. Not just, you know, God supplying your needs, but in other ways as well. And then one last passage, Proverbs 13, verse 21. Verse 21. He says, Adversity pursues sinners, and the righteous will be rewarded with prosperity. Well, y'all been waiting two years for me to do that. What he's saying is that just like um, problems pursue people who make bad decisions, people who do bad things, good things pursue those who are righteous. Good things pursue those who honor God. Good things pursue those who do what is right. Wanda was a a 35-year-old single mom of five. She was basically a custodian in a hospital. Didn't have much. One day on lunch break, she took her television to the pawn shop and pawned it for 60 bucks so she could have enough to pay her electric bill that month. On her way back to work, there was an, an armored uh, truck in front of her and a, <laughs> and a bag fell off. People started dodging it. She stopped her car, got out and picked it up and put it in the car. It had $120,000 in it. She hid it in the car. Went on to work, worked all afternoon. But all afternoon there, there, was this, there, there was this battle taking place in her conscience. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to you. It's not right to keep it. Uh, just over, you know, But this will meet all my needs. It will fix all my problems. But it's not right. It's not yours. It's stealing. It's not right. At the end of the work day, she called the police and reported the money and turned it in. And she wasn't rewarded with a fortune. But she was rewarded with enough money to put a down payment on a very small, modest house for her and her five kids. You know what Jesus said? Hmm? I want you to stand. This is how I'm going to end the sermon today. And then we're going to have a time of invitation and praying and worship. But I want you to look on the screen. I want, you, I want us to do a, a unison reading. This is what Jesus said, and I want us to read it together out loud. So you read with me these verses from our Lord, okay? And just let, let the Holy Spirit speak into your heart, into your soul, and into your mind as we read these words from Jesus Christ. Read with me. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first 
his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, Jesus doesn't say don't work, don't plan. We've already looked in Scripture how, yeah, we are to work and God does not honor the lazy. We've already seen in Scripture in recent weeks that we're to plan for the future, that, that you know, just having wishful thinking, God says, hey, that's not how you live. You have to plan. But what he said is there's something you have to seek above everything else. You have to seek it with more passion than you seek anything else. And you need to seek it before you seek anything else. Seek first above everything. His kingdom. And His righteousness. And then as you're working and planning and doing, because your heart's right and your thinking's right and your, your vision is right and your behavior's right, God's going to take care of you. just another way of talking about lordship and surrender and Jesus said why do you call me Lord Lord and then not do what I say seek first his kingdom his righteousness then all these other things What are you seeking first? Who's the master in your life? Are you mastering money or is money mastering you? Your eyes, the way you look at life, and all that's a part of it. Are they good? Do they see good? Are they righteous? They see things through the eyes of God? Or are they not? Are they trusting? Or are they stingy? What kind of eyes do you have? What would God say? The altar is a place of prayer. This isn't just the next song. This is the a holy moment in this in this worship service when we who are followers of Jesus Christ before our Lord seek Him, seek Him, seek Him. And brothers and sisters, if there are areas in your life where you need to seek Him this morning, then do it. I urge you, do it. Pastors will be here. You can come to one of these and say today, I want to be a part of this church. I want to join First Baptist because I want to make a difference in this community. And this is a church where I can grow and not only be blessed, but where I can be a blessing to the world, to the kingdom of God. If you've never given your life to Christ, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you can't see things through His eyes because you don't have His Spirit living within you, then today you can surrender yourself to Christ and receive Him as your Lord and Savior and begin to see the world differently than you've ever seen it because you have Him in your life. Come to one of these pastors and say, today I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. If you need to be baptized, come and request baptism. Come and pray. Let's sing this worship song and you come now and make your decision for Jesus Christ.